Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the While the ushers are serving you, if you want to, go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through verse 18 today. And as I said last week, I want to go to um, a place of talking about the altar this morning. Uh, As I was wrapping up our series, Hooked, Uh, I was just thinking about, you know, where do I want to go next and what do I want to do? And I just felt like instead of starting a new series that I needed to interject this uh, along the way. I felt very strongly uh, over the course of our last really couple of years on the subject of the altar. And uh, today I just want to bring that up again and really kind of drill down on some ideas or thoughts concerning the altar. What is the altar about? What is the purpose of the altar? What are we trying to accomplish through the altar? And, and so today I want to talk to you about the altar. I don't think that there is a more important part of the service than that time that we call the altar. The fact is that everything that we do here on a Sunday is about getting to the altar. And for those of you that may not know, when we talk about that word altar, that's really a religious term. I mean, it's a Christian term. It's a church term. When we talk about the altar, the altar is that place where we come to, where we actually, everything that has happened, everything that I've experienced thus far in this service, culminates into a moment of life change. It is a moment where God actually comes down and meets with us and we connect with what He has been speaking to us through the message, through the preaching, uh, through the uh, worship, through every aspect of the service, and it really culminates in that time of the altar. Everything we do culminates in the altar. It is the measurement of success. It is the apex of all that has been prepared and invested. It is the ultimate end to everything that we are doing. It is the altar. And so this morning I want to preach that to you this morning. I want to preach the altar. And I was asking you today, I'm asking you today to give me your attention, to really today to set everything aside more so than normal and and give me your heart this morning because what I'm asking of you is to hear from God. I want you to hear what God is saying to you today about the altar because again, there's nothing more important than the altar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence again in this place. I pray that your anointing would rest upon me as I communicate ideas. I pray that, God, you help me to make them practical, not just theological, but practical. God, help me to drill down to the place that we're living and help us to give a pathway to our future, our steps that we're taking forward. I ask that, God, you would just touch the ears of every person in this place, that, God, you would open our hearts to hear, that you would help me to open my mouth to speak, and that, Father, between those two areas we would connect and there would be fruit that would grow as a result of that. We ask for your help this morning in this place in Jesus name. Amen. The altar. I can think about as a kid growing up that uh, many times as I was sitting there listening to the sermon uh, I could start to feel God working on me in different areas. As an adult 
God uh, working on me in different times throughout services. And, and when you got to that altar, you could just feel the conviction. You could feel the challenge. You could feel the weight of everything that had been communicated thus far. And it was at that moment that we had to make a decision about what we were going to do with what we had heard. I can remember many times in the altars or in my seat and in church on Sunday, sitting in my seat thinking, dear God, he's speaking right at me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That pastor has been watching what I've been doing this week. He has been paying attention. He's been checking me out. He knows what I've been up to. He knows what I've been doing. And I knew that he knew. And I was just thinking, if I don't respond, he is going to call my name. I guarantee you. He is going to say, Billy Pate, you need to get out of that seat, boy, and come up here. And uh, the fact is, the the pastor that I, I grew up under would have done that. He would have definitely done that. But uh, most of the time it wasn't the pastor that knew, it was the Holy Spirit that knew. And it was the Holy Spirit that was drawing me. It was the Holy Spirit that was convicting me. It was the Holy Spirit that had been watching what I was doing. It was the Holy Spirit that knew exactly what had been going on in my life that week. And it was the Holy Spirit that was trying to bring me to a place to actually deal with it and take care of it. That's the altar. That's what the altar is all about. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning. I'm going to give you four things today. The the first thing is this, that the altar is a place of exchange. Think about it. The altar is a place of exchange. Let me take you to our passage. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... Exclamation point. And he said, here I am. Notice in the text that it says God tested Abraham. What is the test that God is using to test Abraham? I would say to you that the test is always the same test. It's always the same test. God only gives one test, and that test is the test of obedience. That's that's the test that God gives, and He gives that test over and over again. He gives that test in a number of different ways. He gives that test in a number of different facets of society. He gives us those tests over and over again, but it is the same test. It is the test of obedience. Will you obey the voice of the Lord? Will you Will I respond to his word? God tested Abraham and he says, Abraham, exclamation point. God was not subtle in his call to Abraham. God wasn't quiet in his call to Abraham. He he exclaims the call. He says, Abraham. It's not a still small voice with God at this moment. It is a voice of challenge. It is a voice of conviction. It is clear and it is a clarion voice. It's not a voice that is missed. It's only a voice that is dismissed. Think about it. It's not a voice that is missed because I did not hear him. It is a voice that is dismissed because I did not respond to him. Not a voice missed, but a voice dismissed. You see, when it comes to the altar... Up until that point, everyone, somebody say everyone. 
everyone has done everything that is required at that point to hear from God. You have positioned yourself. You have come into this place. You have prepared your heart through worship. You've done everything that is required of you to hear what God is speaking to you. Why do we do what we do? We do it to get to the point where we have opened our minds and our hearts to God to the place that God can speak into us and challenge us and declare to us, Abraham, and we hear him. It's clear. It's concise. It's it's not missed. It's only dismissed. Up to that point, we've done what's required to hear from God. You've positioned yourself. And so hearing is never the issue. The issue is response to God. Will I respond to Him? The fact is, if we really want to get down to it, response is not even really an issue. Because the fact is, you're going to respond. It's just the way in which you respond that really matters. Even if you, res- you, you refuse to respond to Him, to God, even in that we have responded to something. A refusal to respond to Him is a response of the flesh or it is a response to the enemy's lying voice. It's a response to one of those three entities. I am responding to God, or I am responding to my flesh, or I am responding to the enemy. But I am always responding. And so the first exchange that we're talking about, when we talk about the altar being a place of exchange, the first exchange is one of communication. It happens as an invitation to the altar. It is where God speaks and I either respond to Him or I dismiss Him. Will you come to me? And then it's up to me to decide. God says, Abraham. Abraham responds and he says, here I am. I'm here. God, I'm listening. God. But it is more than that. It is also Abraham yelling back to God. And it is Abraham saying to God in such a declarative voice that I trust you. I believe you. I want you. I'm here responding to you. I'm ready for your directive. Show me how to grow. Show me how to change. Show me how to be better and become more yours. That's the response. Verse 2 of Genesis goes on to say, Then he said, So Abraham God says, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. And then God says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, now hold up, God. You called, I answered, and then this, this is your response. This is what you want. Are you kidding me? Are you serious, God? You expect what? You want what from me? And now we come to the second place of exchange, the second exchange that happens. God is always a God who strikes a trade. He says, give me X and I'll give you... Question mark. You give me X and I'll give you... Question mark. So God, you expect me to give you... Isaac, and in place of that, you're going to give me what? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you what I'm giving you. So you're asking me to give something without you telling me what you're going to give me back. That's exactly right. Why is that? 
How is that fair? Because here's why. Because God's primary commodity of trade is always His reputation. His primary commodity of trade is His reputation. He's always trading on His good name. It's His reputation that He's trading on. God's backing up every exchange that takes place in your life and with Him with the fact that He is a God of unquestionable reputation. He is a God that has never failed. He is a God that has never left. He's a God that's never walked away. He's a God that's never taken from you something and given you something worse in return. He is a God that has always given you the upside of every trade that he's offered you in his life. And so he's not going to tell you what he's going to give you. You just have to understand and know that whatever he gives me is always better because that's what his reputation declares over and over and over again. He's trading with you based on his character, based on his promises, based on his righteousness. And the only thing that you have, listen to me, Because this is probably the most profound thing that you can get from today. Something that you have to understand. God doesn't want your stuff. God's not looking to get your attention on anything particular. God doesn't want anything that you have to offer except one thing. God only wants your faith. That is the only thing that God is interested in your life. That is the only thing that He requires of you. That's the only thing that He desires from you. It is faith. Faith that He is God. That He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I don't know about the trade sometimes, but I always know the trader. I don't know about the trade, but I know the one who does the trading. And He is honest and He is true. He is good. He is righteous. He is, He is, He is everything that I need Him to be. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, But without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You might be able to interject there. Without faith, it is impossible to satisfy an exchange, to satisfy a trade. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek Him. Without what is impossible to please Him? Without faith. Verse 2, then He said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go. The exchange always requires movement. God always requires movement. God always requires movement. It is the movement that is the expression of your faith. Faith demands, requires activity without movement. Faith is dormant at best, dead at its worst. Either way, an activated faith is worthless faith. James 2.20, if you want to turn there with me real quick, hold your place in Genesis. But it says this, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works faith was made perfect. 
And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, trusted God, followed God, obeyed God, had faith in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Unactivated faith is worthless faith. The exchange demands movement. God is always taking you from somewhere to somewhere. God is always taking you from your position, from your condition, from your problem, to salvation, to victory, to deliverance. God is trying to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And the fact is, if we could get it in our minds, if we could understand it, if we could get past flesh and get past the lying voice of the enemy, we would come to understand that where God's trying to take us to and where God's trying to get us from is the very place that we want to get from and the place that we want to get to. It's the place we need to be. It's a place that we're designed to thrive. It's a place where we overcome. It's a place where God has prepared for us. God is always trying to take us from too. But pastor, pastor, why? Why do you have us come to the front for the altar? Can I just preach to you for a minute? Why, why do you demand or why do you require or why do you push us to move from our seats to come to the altar? Why is it that every altar call in this church ends with you, pastor, trying to get me to move from my place to the altar? Because faith requires movement this morning. Faith demands that I move, that I act, that I engage, that I embrace something that God is trying to do in my life. But pastor, can't God touch me in the altar or touch me in my seat? Absolutely. But it's not about God touching you. It's about you touching God. And that requires movement. We sit back and we say, God, touch me. God, fix me. God, take care of me. God, work in my life. And God's saying, if you'll just move, if you'll just get up and you'll just move towards me and try to touch me, I'll heal you. I'll deliver you. I'll set you free. I'll fix the problem in your life. Faith is about an outstretched hand reaching for the master. And you can't touch him without movement. You have to move from to. Take your son, he says, and go. Because here's something else that I want you to hear. In the exchange, God will always require of you what is more precious to you than your faith in him. In the exchange... God will always require of each of us what is more precious to us than our faith in Him. The exchange is about laying down before Him what is more precious to you than your faith in Him. What supersedes my trust in Him. What holds my heart more than Him. That is what He wants. That is what He demands. And your faith is the currency That he uses for exchange. It says in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went. He went 
to the place of which God had told him. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! Exclamation point. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The second point this morning is that the altar is a place of expense. Not only is it a place of exchange, it's also a place of expense. The altar always costs us something. And whatever the cost is, the currency is always faith. Abraham is moving from the place he's at to the place God is sending him. Verse 3 says, Abraham went to the place of which God had told him. He is taking what is precious to him and he is offering it to God. Invariably, as we make the journey or prepare for the journey from where we are, to where God is taking us, what is precious to us will begin to question the process. Verse 7 says this, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, again, exclamation point. And he said, Here I am. Does that ring uh, familiar to anyone else besides me? It is the same exchange that he has in communication with God. God says to him, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Isaac says, my father. And he says, here I am. My God calls to me and I say, God, I'm here. My precious calls to me and I say, I'm here. It speaks of the hold that whatever God is asking of us, the hold that it has on us, the things in our lives cannot carry the same voice as God. Nothing in our life can carry the same voice as God. It has to be carried from the place of influence and it has to be carried to a place of sacrifice. Because God is not in the business of sharing His place with anyone or anything. Either he sits on the throne of our hearts or something else does. But he never shares a seat. So it always costs you. The altar is an expensive place. It costs you something. It costs you things like pride. It costs you things like courage. It costs things that are precious to you. Things that you've been holding on to. God says you've got to bring that to me. You've got to lay it on the altar. You've got to take it from a place of influence. And you've got to put it on a place of sacrifice. It costs you your devised plans. This is the way I have my life ordered, God. This is the way I have prepared everything in my life. This is the way that I have it all set up. This is the way I've thought it through. This is the way I expect it to happen. Either he sits on the throne of your heart or something else does. But he never shares a seat. Here's the issue with Isaac and Abraham. Isaac is, Isaac is a promise from God to Abraham. 
He was not out of God's will by having Isaac. He was perfectly in line with God's will by having Isaac. So he knows that. It was a promise that was afar off and a promise that was fulfilled in his life. And so this promise that he's holding on to is a God promise. It's something that God had given him. It's something that he had prayed for and waited for and God finally delivered in his life. And so it's a God promise. The problem now is this, that Isaac is a promise from God to Abraham, but Abraham has become more interested in the promise than the promise maker. He's become more interested in the promise than the promise maker. Abraham sees Isaac as his future rather than the God who provided Isaac. God says to Abraham, give me your future and I'm going to give you mine in its place. Because let me tell you something, church, and this is a fact. That God's plan, God's future, God's goals, God's desires for you is greater than your desires and plans and goals for yourself. God's plans and ideas and desires are bigger. They encapsulate your dreams and then enhance those dreams. He takes your desires and he doesn't neglect them. That's fear rather than faith. You understand that? That when I take my desires and I consider that God might be neglecting my desires, that he may have something in mind that requires me to give those up, then I'm saying to him, I don't necessarily trust you. I'm fearful of the possibilities of what you have in store for my life. We're operating on another arena. And we have to move to faith. God's desires He takes our desires and he doesn't neglect them. He takes our desires and he surrounds them with things that we cannot even conceive. And if we will not give him what we have, then he cannot give us what he has. If we do not give him what we have to give, then you cannot have what he has to give. If you do not give him what you have, he will not give you what he has. So this is a place of expense. It costs me pride. It costs me courage. It costs me obedience. It costs me even scrutiny. Let's be honest. The fact is, it's a reality. We're people. We have flaws. We have struggles. We have difficulties. We have wandering minds. We have inquiring minds, and inquiring minds want to know. Right? And so when somebody stands and they respond to an altar call, The fact is, it does cost us scrutiny from time to time. I would be lying to you if if I was to say that nobody in the crowd is going to think, I wonder what's up with them. That's a reality. But I'm saying to you today, so what? Anybody that has the time to consider what's going on in your life ought to invest that time in considering what's wrong in their own life. Let all the flawed people stand with a critical eye. Because there are no unflawed people, right? It's a place of expense. It costs me pride. It costs me scrutiny. It costs me obedience. It means walking through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whoa, pastor. I don't like that. That doesn't sound right. I identify with his glory, but I want nothing to do with his suffering. I identify with his resurrection, with his majesty, with his victory, with his power, with his authority, with his anointing. 
I love those things. But I neglect to identify with his suffering. And the fact is, that's the very problem that we face in the church today. With every person who is stagnant and every person that is complacent in their relationship with Jesus, that is the issue. We want to identify with his glory but reject his suffering. We like to talk about his resurrection power but refuse to identify with his crucifixion which provides me the means by which resurrection power was delivered. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. And you'll never live again until you die first. There is no new life without, a, without first a death. And so no matter how much we would like to, no matter how much we want to, we cannot skip ahead. You cannot circumvent the process. Luke 9, 23 says this, Then he said to them all, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the expense, and this is the cost. So let me make it practical for you. It's like this on a Sunday morning. Pastor's preaching, and he's preaching good. And I'm sitting here in my seat just doing my normal Sunday thing. But I hear God. God's speaking to me. God's challenging me. God's dealing with me. Pastor asked me to stand up and so I stand up. And so I'm waiting for the altar call. And at that moment I have a choice to make. Will I respond to Him or will I respond to my flesh that says people are watching. People might have something to say. People might have something to think. Or will I respond to the enemy that says, that's not for you. You've messed up too much. You're not good enough to go down there. This is not your time. I'm responding to something, so what will I respond to? I decide I'm going to respond to God, and this is what it requires. It requires a death, it requires a burial, and it requires a resurrection. It requires a death in that I say to myself, I will do as my God demands. Not my will, but yours be done. It requires a death. It requires a burial. I step out of my seat. I walk to the front. I'm dying to myself. I'm being buried with Jesus Christ. But the moment I step here, I have come to the place of resurrection. It is in this moment that God says, dead things now can be awakened into new life. Old things are passed away and now all things can become new. I've come to the place of exchange. It's cost me something, but I promise you what I'm going to gain from it is far greater value to me than anything that I'm laying down for Him. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. place of expense it's going to cost you something third verse 11 it says but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham so he said a third time here I am and he said do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you trust me, that you fear me, that you follow me, that you serve me, that you desire me. Since you have not withheld what is precious to you, your only son, from me. 
The third thing, the altar is a place of experience. It is a place of experience. Abraham has tuned his ear to God. And he is skilled in responding. The angel of the Lord calls and Abraham says, I'm here, here I am. Because here's the thing, and listen to me good. This is a good point. If you don't tune your ear to the Lord and learn to respond quickly, you run the risk of sacrificing what was only meant to be laid down. Oh my goodness. You run the risk of sacrificing what was only meant to be laid down. God does not want to take Isaac from him. But he wants to know that Isaac doesn't stand between him and his relationship with Abraham. He said, I'm not going to take it from you. You may think that, but what I'm really asking of you is will you just get it out of the way? Will you just lay it down for a few minutes? Will you just let it not become between you and I? Don't tune your ear to the Lord and learn to respond quickly. We can run the risk of sacrificing things that are only meant to be laid down. Verse 12 says, and he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God says, I see your faith. I see your currency in this trade. I receive your faith. I recognize your trust in me. Now let me give you back your son and more. It is a place of experience. It is a place where I come to know God greater and deeper. It is a place I come to know God in a broader context. He is my provider. He is my God. He is the one who offers me more. Than what he asked of me. The altar is a place of experience. It is a place where I meet with God. It is a place where I am left changed because of him. We need some fresh experiences with God. But that requires pursuit. It requires movement. It requires faith. When I step out, I experience the provider. When I step out, I experience the healer. I experience the deliverer. I experience the Savior. The one who resurrects. The one who restores. The one who reconciles. The one who renews. The God that can, the God that will, and the God that does. It is a place of experience. Verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. In the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you. Multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because, because, because you have obeyed my voice. Lastly, it is the place of expectation. This morning... There is a ram in the thicket for you. There is a ram in the thicket for you. You can't see it until the time's right. 
But there's a ram in the thicket. God has provided for you what you have need of today. There's an expectation for now. You know, the altar is not about just getting your needs met later. It's also about now. Abraham doesn't need a sacrifice later. He needs a sacrifice now. He needs a ram in the thicket today. There's been times in my life where I needed God to show up in my life right then. I didn't need God to put me off. I didn't need to wait a few weeks. I didn't need any of that. I needed God to touch my life now. And so it's a place of expectation. There is an expectation for you now. I think you should come every week with an expectation that God is going to do something for me right now. God is going to do a change in my life right now. God will provide for you in this moment what you need at the altar. It is not only a place of expectation for now, but it's also a place of expectation for the future. Verse 18 says, In your seed all the nations are blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The altar is a place of expectation. Don't come without expectation. Part of building the altar is using the material of expectation. Expect Him to deliver on what you need now, but also expect Him to deliver on your future. Verse 16 says, Because you have done this thing, Verse 18 says, because you have obeyed my voice, because you obeyed, because you trusted, because you paid the cost, because you moved, because I will give you more than you even dreamed possible. Stand with me across this place. The altar. The altar is the primary reason that we are here each and every week. I don't care what anybody says. The altar is not outdated. The altar is not past its time. Because like the cross, the altar is part of the process. It is the place of crossroads. It is the place of decision. It is the place where I come and I lay down myself and my problem and my precious things to take on my Savior. It's a place of exchange, a place of expense, a place of experience, and a place of expectation. Let's not neglect the altar. Let's not neglect the altar. Let's not neglect the altar this morning. It is important. It is vital to my journey. It's a part of the process. It is one of the hallmarks, the milestones of my journey. My life is filled with milestones that occurred in the altar. Profound moments. They weren't always at church, but they were always at an altar. Sometimes the altar was built in my car as I'm driving down the highway. Sometimes the altar was built in my house early in the morning before anybody got up. But regardless, I sat down and I laid the wood on the altar. I built the altar. I fashioned the altar. It became a platform for change. A platform for change. And that's what God offers each of us each and every week. And so each and every week, there will always be an altar call at this church. It may be simple. It may be complex. 
But regardless, it will always be an altar call. And I just challenge you, each and every week, you find a place in that altar that you can identify with. And if you'll do that each and every week, you'll find that the cost is smaller and less if it's given out over time than it is in one big lump sum delivered. So faithfulness, faith, that's the currency God's looking for this morning. And so what I want to ask you today is every head bowed and every eye is closed across this place. We start with salvation because your life begins at the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior. We start our walk today with the opportunity for you, for anyone in this place to give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. And so if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm not sure of my relationship with Jesus. I've not made that commitment to Him. I've not cried out to Him. I've not asked Him to forgive me. I've not asked Him to be a part of my life. This is a moment for you. This is a crossroads for you. This is the cost for you. Week service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We'd love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. Say come to the river.